Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia Adol. Welcome back to the FemiPod for episode number 53, our second to last episode for the year. We thought what better way to end the year than with some incredible education for you all. So today, Esther and I are here with our Femi physiotherapist, the amazing Grace Coombs. Grace has a particular interest in physiotherapy for runners alongside women's health. Her knowledge, studies and training in women's health provides her with the expertise to work closely with women who may have had pelvic floor or abdominal concerns, secondary to pregnancy, postnatal endometriosis and other hormonal disorders or menopause. Grace is also an amazing, passionate runner herself with a long history in the sport. This is actually Grace's second time on the pod. And if you haven't listened to our first episode with her, head back to episode number 26 to have a listen. We are super excited to deep dive into this conversation with Grace around pre and postnatal physiotherapy for women. Grace, how are you? And thanks for being here. Hello. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I am really good. Thank you. I'm just, as we were saying um, before, I'm just sort of winding down for the year and getting ready for a bit of a break over Christmas and New Year's, which um, I think is much needed. And I think lots of other people are feeling the same way. So yeah, really good. Enjoying December and all the festivities. And yeah, how are you both? Yeah, we're good, thanks. We appreciate you being here and definitely relate to an excited feeling about having a break coming up on Christmas and New Year's, I think well needed for all of us and probably a lot of people listening as well. Uh, but let's dive straight in. We have many listeners who either had tr- children, are currently pregnant or want to have children in the future. Can you firstly explain the key hormonal changes that happen throughout pregnancy and how do these relate to the changing physiology of the female body? Yes, I absolutely can. So um, firstly, shout out to hormones. They are pretty amazing, as we know at Femi. But in my opinion, they're so, so amazing when it comes to the female body and our ability to grow a baby and sort of maintain a pregnancy and then give birth to a child. It's just honestly blows my mind every day with the clients that I'm working with. So yeah, shout out to hormones. When we're pregnant, there are many physical and physiological changes that occur, and that's all thanks to those hormones. So we have lots of really obvious sort of physical changes that occur that most people are familiar with. So when someone is pregnant, uh, we develop a baby bump. Um, So our tummy grows, our hips and our pelvis start to widen. And because of those two changes, this can affect how we sort of stand and walk and our general posture. Women will notice their breasts become larger and they can sometimes notice hair and skin changes as well. So those are all sort of those physical signs that we often see during pregnancy that are all occurring because of our hormones. And then we have things that are happening that we might not necessarily be aware of. Um, that our hormones are also helping with things like developing the um, embryo and the fetus and maintaining pregnancy and allowing things like our uterus and our placenta to grow. 
So really important uh, things that are happening. The hormones are also softening the tissues around our uterus and around our cervix and our pelvis and our abdominal muscles to allow some of those physical changes to happen. And they're also developing our milk ducts in the background as well. So lots of different things happening. If we think about the hormones that are doing all of that, the main ones through pregnancy would be estrogen and progesterone, as well as relaxin and a hormone called HCG, which stands for human chorionic gonadotropin hormone. So we'll just call it HCG. <laughs> so those are the four main ones. And then we've got lots of other different hormones that are affecting our body and working on our body during that time, such as oxytocin, which some women might have heard of, and prolactin, um, which is our milk producing hormone. If we look at the four main ones, the first one would be estrogen. And we're super familiar with estrogen at FEMI. And we know how important it is for obviously muscle and bone recovery and um, our menstrual cycle and our strength and our energy levels and all of that awesome stuff. It's also really important during pregnancy. It helps to support our baby as it's developing and maintain the endometrial lining. And it helps to increase blood flow and vascularization to certain areas of the body, um, as well as uh, help with the development of our milk ducts. So when we're pregnant, estrogen is increasing like crazy. It apparently is like higher than it ever, ever will be when we're pregnant. So it gets really high up there and can sometimes contribute to that lovely pregnancy glow that some people talk about. So that's estrogen. Then we've got progesterone, which we're also relatively familiar with at FEMI. Progesterone, often, often with FEMI, we're talking about the negative effects of progesterone. Um, but during pregnancy, it's actually got quite a few uh, positive sort of benefits. It helps to soften all of the smooth muscles around the uterus and soften some of our, the blood vessels and things like that to help us to actually, again, maintain that pregnancy. Um, and it helps to soften some of the ligaments around our pelvis to allow bub to grow and our body to cope with pregnancy. It does have a few, unfortunately, negative effects because it's softening lots of things. It leads to things like constipation in pregnancy, reflux, which is another fun one, and it can contribute to mood swings and things like that. And then we go to the other two. I'm almost done. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. This is fascinating. Keep going. <laughs> Relaxin, which many pregnant women will have heard of. It's a hormone that, again, helps with the maintenance of pregnancy, but it's also quite strongly involved in relaxing some of the ligaments and the soft tissues around our bodies, particularly our pelvis. And that can, and we'll touch on this later, but it can then sometimes cause things like pelvic pain during pregnancy, um, which can be quite annoying for some athletes. Um, and then we have the HCG hormone, which is a pregnancy-specific hormone. And the reason I mentioned that one is because it increases really, really rapidly in the first trimester, and it actually peaks at about 10 weeks uh, of gestation or of, of pregnancy. And that really sudden increase in HCG is often what causes women to experience morning sickness and feel a bit tired and nauseous during that first 12 weeks. But generally, once it's reached its peak, that nausea and that morning sickness will often start to resolve. 
as well. Wow. That's incredible. The, the female body is just absolutely insane. And um, you know a lot about it, which is very impressive. Oh, I think as someone that doesn't know a lot about pregnancy, I find that so interesting. I think a big question that women are constantly concerned about when becoming pregnant is the ability to exercise. And traditionally, there's been a lot of stigma around training when carrying a baby. Can you exercise when pregnant? And in particular, can you run when you exercise, uh, when pregnant? Great question. Short answer is yes, you can exercise when you are pregnant. Um, in fact, it is strongly advised that you do exercise when pregnant for the health of you, but also for the health of your growing baby. So we can forget about all those people that are saying you can't exercise during pregnancy. It is really important, however, to make sure that you are cleared by your obstetrician or your gynecologist or your doctor prior to exercise, particularly if you know that there's a reason why you might not be safe exercising. But generally speaking, in an uncomplicated pregnancy, once medically cleared, very safe to keep keep exercising, as well as running. So running is also safe to continue. Again, just making sure that you are cleared by your health professional prior to doing that. So with the current guidelines at the moment, it suggests a minimum of 150 minutes of exercise per week. So that's sort of about 30 minutes a day for five days of the week. And for pregnancy, the suggestion is that the intensity of that exercise is kept to a moderate level. So that means that you can increase your heart rate, you can build up a sweat, um, but that you're not sort of huffing and puffing and gasping for air. So you should be able to hold a conversation for your exercise session. And the guidelines also suggest a combination of aerobic and resistance-based training. So aerobic-based training could be something like running, um, or it could be walking or swimming or biking. And then your resistance-based training can be things like being in the gym, lifting weights, uh, or something like Pilates, or you know any sort of exercise class that you might enjoy going to. If you're new to exercise, it's advised that you just take it really slowly and, and sort of make sure that your body feels okay as you start um, adding this in but if you're a regular exerciser and you're a regular runner um, as long as it feels comfortable and as long as you're able to maintain your weight and as long as you've been safely uh, cleared sorry then you are safe to keep running through your pregnancy it's just that at times as some of those physical changes start to happen like the growth of our baby bump and the softening of some of the ligaments around the pelvis some women find that it's a little bit uncomfortable for them to continue running, particularly as they move into their second and third trimester. And sometimes they just choose themselves to change their mode of exercise over that time. But yeah, each to their own with that one. That's so cool and interesting. I'm excited that I, when I have a baby somewhere in the future, I can continue to run, hopefully. I think, I don't know, this one just came into my head, like some woman that I follow and are friends with on Instagram and they're like really pretty competitive runners they are going really hard during pregnancy and like doing like hill sprints and like 200 meter sprints like full pregnant 
What's your take on that? It's actually, again, quite individual for everyone because everyone's pregnancy is going to be quite different. And you're absolutely right, though. I see it as well, um, particularly some of the elite athletes that are doing such intense training prior to pregnancy are able to continue it right through. And generally, they've been, you know, they've been closely monitored by their health professional just to make sure that everything is okay. But yeah, as long as your body is used to it and as long as you feel uh, comfortable when you're not in pain and there's no sort of complications then it is actually okay but I would recommend getting that clearance just mm-hmm. because it's so hard to know with everyone being so different yeah yeah cool and alongside running you kind of touched on it a little bit before but what are other forms of exercise that are beneficial when pregnant and are there like particular ones that are the most beneficial and then some guidance on like how often and how long for, but then also I guess in the gym, are there certain things to avoid? Yeah, great question. So if you're not into running or if you have to stop running for whatever reason, uh, definitely, like I said before, things like swimming can be really great, particularly later on in the pregnancy because you feel so nice and weightless when you're in the water, which can just feel amazing for a pregnant woman. Uh, biking is also a really good one walking if it's comfortable but then yeah we've got sort of pilates gym based exercises as well and I always advise because of some of those physical changes that are happening and because of the softening of some of the ligaments around the pelvis I always advise my clients to ensure that they're adding in some hip stability and hip strengthening exercises just to help to stabilize their center a little bit more so you could always add in things like squats if they feel comfortable or side leg raises or bridges so your hip thrust type exercises just to help to balance out that extra mobility exercises to avoid the big one that I get asked a lot is around core exercises So when you're pregnant, again, going back to the baby bump, um, our tummy expands out. And when that happens, our abdominal muscles stretch. And it's really important during this time that we don't put too much pressure through that area because we are at increased risk of um, injury and discomfort over that time. So things like crunches um, or really heavy core exercises that put a lot of strain through your abdominal region generally we're wanting to remove those as soon as you start to notice that that bump is getting a bit bigger. Can you go into a little bit more information about diastasis recti? Yes, nice work. Yeah, diastasis recti, commonly known as abdominal separation. So diastasis recti is a big topic. It's something that every single pregnant woman gets. And basically, so we can't avoid it. So I get a lot of clients sort of coming in to see me wanting to avoid abdominal separation. And first thing I tell them is we can't do that, but we can look after the abdominal separation. So for those that don't know what it is, basically down the middle of your tummy, you have a strip of connective tissue or fascia called your linear alba. And Everyone has that strip of connective tissue or fascia down the center of their tummy. When someone's got really defined six-pack abs, you know how you can see the definition and you can literally see that line like going down the center of their body, down the middle of their belly button? 
that's that strip of tissue. So we've all got it. But when our tummy starts to stretch and expand, that strip of tissue has to stretch and widen to allow for our tummy to expand outwards. And that's basically what abdominal separation is. So when it widens, it pushes our six-pack abs further apart from one another. By the end of your third trimester, so the, the end of your pregnancy, it's really normal to have about three or four fingers width of abdominal separation somewhere along the length of your tummy. So it's quite wide, right? Because you think about it when you're not pregnant, it's like half a finger width or sometimes one finger width. So it does stretch quite a lot. Postnatally, uh, often that actually just comes back together um, just with time and with recovery. In a lot of women, however, so over 50% of women, it doesn't actually come completely back together. It will come back some way and then stop. And that's when someone, you might hear people talking about having abdominal separation after having a baby, that person has just been left with a little bit of a wider bit of tissue down the centre of their tummy, which is 100% normal and okay. So lots of people get, lots of women get quite worried about that. Aesthetically, it can make the tummy look a little bit different, but functionally, it doesn't affect your ability to return to things like running and jumping and lifting weights and moving and all of those awesome things as long as you have strengthened up the core muscles around that area so that you're protecting it. Yeah, Does that well, make sense? It made a lot of sense. And it's everything you say, I'm just like, the female body is just amazing. <laughs> Can you go into a little bit more detail about having an overactive pelvic floor? This is a question from one of our listeners. And are there any risks for those who want to have a natural birth? Yes, I definitely can. For With regards to the pelvic floor, for the, just really briefly for those people that don't know what the pelvic floor is, the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that sits at the bottom of your pelvis and helps with pelvic stability, but it also helps with bladder and bowel control and um, sort of supporting your pelvic organs. So supporting your bladder and your uterus and your bowel in the pelvis. So really important group of muscles. Many, many women, particularly nulliparous women, so that means women who haven't had a baby, are presenting at the moment with overactive pelvic floor muscles, which means that those muscles are tighter than potentially they should be. And you can think of your pelvic floor muscles like any other muscle in your body. So if you think of your neck and shoulder muscles, some of us have really soft, squishy neck and shoulder muscles. And some of us have really tight muscles because we might be holding a lot of tension in that area. The same thing can happen with the pelvic floor muscles. And we're seeing that a lot in women who are quite active so uh, maybe doing a lot of exercise or putting a lot of stress through that area or potentially women who are just quite anxious and stressed and holding a lot of tension in that region of their body. Overactivity in the pelvic floor can be normal. Um, it can cause pain, however, which isn't very fun. So it can cause pelvic or vaginal pain or pain with intercourse. And it can affect some women's ability to 
empty their bladder or their bowel efficiently. So if you are concerned about having an overactive pelvic floor, it's definitely worth booking in to see a women's health physio because there's so much that can be done to to help that. Um, Just like any other muscle in your body, we can release the pelvic floor and we can teach it to relax. When it comes to giving birth naturally with an overactive pelvic floor, there is quite a lot of research sort of relatively recently actually that's come out that tells us that if a pelvic floor is struggling to relax, so it's really, really tight and it won't ever let go, particularly when we're putting pressure through it, so when we're pushing, like during a vaginal delivery, if it's struggling to do that, then the research is showing us that the risk of a longer labour or risk of tearing is higher. So that's not to say that everyone that has an overactive pelvic floor is going to tear and have a long labour. It just means that if your pelvic floor is struggling to relax, that risk is a little bit higher. And so in that case, it's a really easy fix. You can just book in to see someone like myself or a women's health physio and we can teach those muscles how to relax um, so that you can you know, have the best chance at having a successful vaginal delivery. That's so good that there's a solution and there's a there's an incredible lady like Grace out there that can help <laughs> relax those yeah, for us. <laughs> that's honestly so, so common. But then I see women who have overactive pelvic floor muscles who don't go and see someone beforehand and have like the best labor ever. So it doesn't it doesn't mean that everyone's going to have that. It just means that there's a slightly higher risk. And like hormones again are amazing. When you're in labor, your hormones are softening everything and sort of helping everything to relax and stretch. Cool. You kind of touched a little bit before on pelvic pain, and I thought we'd just dive into this question now. How do you know when to pull back around pelvic pain, like when it's unsafe versus just uncomfortable? This is from a listener as well. Yeah, okay. So I think that listener is probably talking about pelvic pain during pregnancy because that's super, yeah. super common yeah. um, and really common in, in women who are who are trying to keep running and, and sort of stay active on their feet. So I think for anyone that's experiencing pelvic pain, it's really important to get it checked as soon as possible because there is so much that we can do to help it. The sooner we can get onto it, the less irritated it's going to get and the more likely that person is going to be able to stay active through their pregnancy with the exercise that they want to do common sort of areas of pain around the pelvis during pregnancy are at the front so at the pubic bone and lots of women refer to lightning crotch because apparently when you feel it it feels like a lightning bolt through your crotch (laughs) sounds like fun doesn't it and then it's really common to have pain at the back, sort of in your sacroiliac joints. So often women will feel that in in one side, sort of more towards their buttocks or their really lower part of their back. And so if you're experiencing pain in any of those areas, particularly with running or walking, I would actually suggest stopping the exercise that you're doing until you've been checked. I'm rambling a little bit. So I think the question was, how do you know when it's safe to keep going and when you should stop? I would always stop get it checked, make sure that it's safe to keep going and then keep going from there just because everyone is so different and the pain can present in so many different ways that 
I would hate to say, oh, you know, it's okay to push through a little bit of an ache or a little bit of discomfort here and there. And then someone sort of listens to me and causes themselves more pain than they need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so, yes, like any injury, I don't push through it. Go make sure yeah. it's not serious and then, and then carry on. Um, Absolutely. Cool. Uh, we speak, obviously, at Femi and we speak a lot about relative energy deficiency syndrome in sport. How does this syndrome affect women falling pregnant? Yeah, so um, with relative energy deficiency, we know that it's super common in female athletes. And we know that one of the main signs or symptoms of REDS is amenorrhea or a loss of the period or menstruation. And when that happens, generally, it means that we're not ovulating as well. And we need to ovulate to fall pregnant. So essentially, if our body is in a state of of REDS and we're not ovulating and we're not menstruating, then that is going to affect that woman's ability to conceive. And so if someone is noticing those signs or noticing changes to their period um, or irregularity, then it's definitely worth getting that checked ASAP, particularly if that's something that's on your mind or actually just anyway getting it checked ASAP yeah I love that and I think it's just another call out to say even if you don't want to fall pregnant or aren't looking at becoming pregnant or trying to fall pregnant anytime soon um if you are having irregular cycles or there are changes to your menstrual cycle definitely go and get it checked and get some help right absolutely and then when it comes to coming back to exercise and training post-birth how long should people take off training and exercise after giving birth and how long would you say it would take back, uh, take to get back to full training for someone who has already exercised and, and has I guess a particular schedule or routine of training before falling pregnant or even throughout their pregnancy the big question is how long does it take to get back to exercise and I love it because if I was postnatal I would be asking the exact same thing um many new mums are super keen to get back to exercise as soon as possible particularly us runners because often there has been a short period of time where we haven't been able to to run short answer though is that it's very difficult to say because it is super individual for everyone and it depends on so so many different factors like your pre-pregnancy fitness, whether you were able to exercise during pregnancy, how your labour went, how your recovery was, how your energy levels are, all of those different things. But generally speaking, we do have some guidelines that we follow and that we sort of advise people to follow. And that would be, generally speaking, that for the first 12 to 16 weeks, when the body and the pelvic floor and the abdominal muscles are still recovering that that woman avoids or reduces impact-based exercises or like heavy weight training and that's just to aim to prevent uh, things like pelvic floor injury or incontinence or prolapse or anything like that from presenting while the body is recovering. But that's not to say that you can't do any exercise for 12 to 16 weeks. It's just that higher intensity exercise. And so during that first sort of stage of recovery, it's really individual. But most women can get back walking, for example, to start with quite early. Like I have 
clients who are walking from day two or three and they might only be walking around the block but they're out walking and they're starting that process and then I have others that don't feel comfortable to start walking until they're at six weeks post and or 12 weeks post and that's absolutely fine as well but if you are feeling really good walking gentle core activation exercises gentle pelvic floor activation exercises is a great place to start it's sort of like we're starting to build your base back and then from there we can start to progress into body weight floor exercises so you know exercises lying down like bridges or hip thrusts or sort of clamshells or planks or whatever it is you're feeling up to and then generally after a check with a postnatal physio or a women's health physio we can start to really increase the amount of exercise that you're doing so from about six weeks you could start to cross train so you could start to do things like swimming and biking and you know, increase your walking and start to add body weight exercises like squats and lunges into your training and sort of progress from there with the goal of adding impact back into your into your training from about 12 weeks. So it's sort of like a gradual progression. Some women can return to impact earlier, um, but generally we wouldn't advise before that 12-week mark. And then some women take a lot longer because their body is taking a bit longer to recover and that's absolutely fine as well. Is the difference between returning to exercise after C-section versus vaginal birth, is there a difference? Technically, yes, there is a difference. Um, when we've when a woman has had a cesarean, um, she's had a cut to her lower tummy and the surgeon or the specialist has cut through many, many layers of her abdominal muscles and fascia to reach her uterus. And so just like, and that, sorry, that sounds really graphic, but that's what happens. And so just like any surgery or wound that requires time to heal, um, particularly when it has gone through many layers. So generally speaking, for the first six weeks post-cesarean, that woman might not be getting back into some of that activity. So some of that walking that I was mentioning or some of those body weight type exercises as quickly to allow that wound time to heal. But if we think about the long game, so returning to impact and jumping and running and high intensity exercise from 12 to 16 weeks, generally if that woman has had a good recovery and she's had help from someone like a women's health physio, she can or should be able to return to those exercises at about the same time. So it's just that initial recovery that looks a little bit different for a cesarean versus vaginal delivery. Mm. So interesting. And then when it comes to other like health concerns for females that are coming back to training post-birth, what are some things that women should be aware of, like bone density issues that may be impacted by uh, hormones that are changing post-birth? Like, is there any other health concerns that we should be aware of? Yeah, so um, bone density is a big one. We, again, at FEMI, we know the importance of hormones, particularly estrogen, for our bone health. And when you are postnatal, so actually, sorry, going back, when you're pregnant, your estrogen levels are like skyrocketing. But as soon as you have your baby, your estrogen levels plummet, apparently sort of lower than or sort of to a similar level um, as menopause. 
So really big drop. And when that happens, often your estrogen levels will stay lower for quite some time. And they'll often stay a little bit lower if you are breastfeeding as well. And that's just, um, you know, part of how the body is functioning at that time. But when we have that reduced estrogen, that means that our bone density is temporarily reduced. So all of the research shows us that it can be reduced by up to 5% during that time. And it can stay reduced for up to 18 months postnatal, depending on how long that woman is breastfeeding for. So implications with regards to returning to exercise would be just to be mindful that as you get back into impact-based exercise or exercise that puts stress on your bones, that potentially your bone density could be temporarily a little bit lower. And so gradually exposing your body to those impact loads is a really good way to make sure that you avoid injury. So yeah, that's basically bone density postpartum. But then there are other things like incontinence, which is a big one. So bladder leakage. And just briefly touching on that, it's really, really common postnatal. One third of women will experience bladder leakage after having a baby. The main thing I'll say about that is that there is, although it's common, it's definitely not normal for it to continue after 12 to 16 weeks postpartum. So if you are experiencing something like that, definitely book in to see someone because there's heaps that we can do to help with that. Cool. I love it. I feel like I've definitely trained some mums and I've even probably experienced myself and some other people that I know when I push really hard, like in the past, I have peed myself. So I definitely understand that struggle. And I think a lot of us have been there. Um, but yeah, get it checked out and get some help, right? Don't let it keep going. Yeah, exactly. It's not something that you want to have to, to deal with, right? At any stage of your life. Wow. Um, however, yeah. And sometimes I would say definitely get it checked because a lot of the time, particularly postnatal bladder leakage can be to do with pelvic floor muscle weakness. But a lot of the time in women who haven't had babies or even some that have, bladder leakage can come about because of pelvic floor overactivity, so what we were talking about before. And so if you're experiencing leaking with running and then you're thinking, oh, I just need to do more Kegels or I need to do more pelvic floor exercises and the issue is an overactive pelvic floor, that leakage will probably get worse. So really important, whether you're postnatal or not, just to get it checked so that you know that you're doing the right rehab or exercises. Hmm. That's so interesting because it's so hard, right? Because we all hear about how important the pelvic floor is and and it is so important. Uh, But then obviously getting that check to understand whether or not it's too active or underactive is really important. So you don't go and absolutely smash the pelvic floor exercises or kegels when you actually don't need it. You probably need to relax them a little bit. That's right. And I will say that most of my running clients have would probably lean more towards the overactive pelvic floor sort of side of the spectrum. And But the, the annoying thing is that we're really good at building strength so like it's much easier if someone told us oh you just need to build your pelvic floor strength because we can do that we can set ourselves a challenge and we'll just do it it's much harder for us to learn to relax Mm -hmm. our pelvic floor muscles so yeah it can sort of cause an issue but once you've been assessed and you know what's what it's generally quite easy to fix Mm -hmm. and then 
we did have a question from a listener as well, just around other exercises for healthy pelvic floor that isn't Kegels. Yeah, so uh, for those that don't know what a Kegel is, a Kegel is a pelvic floor squeeze. So, you know, that when you do a pelvic floor squeeze, you're thinking about squeezing around the muscles around your front and your back passage, sort of like you're holding in a wee and holding in wind at the same time and then relaxing back down to complete that action. So it's like a squeeze, a lift, and then a release. And that's what we call a Kegel. That's definitely the best way to isolate the pelvic floor muscles. And we can sort of train the pelvic floor muscles in lots of different ways, like focusing on endurance. So how long can you squeeze and how long can you hold that squeeze for? Or we can focus on like speed. So how quickly can you contract your pelvic floor and how quickly can you release or coordination or anything that we would normally train any other muscle with if we're thinking about training the pelvic floor sort of aside from just kegels I would suggest um, focusing on abdominal control and abdominal strengthening because the abdomen muscles tend to work alongside the pelvic floor so if you're not using those muscles properly or if you're not breathing correctly with the exercise that you're doing Sometimes that can influence the pelvic floor, um, strengthening the glutes and the hips and the pelvic muscles in general can help. So that's any exercise that works that part of the body. Cool. Love it. I was definitely doing some Kegels while you were talking about it. <laughs> Liz was too. She's nodding. <laughs> I think everyone does. And I think you can always tell when, when someone's really focusing on what they're doing, right? Because they're sort of posturing. <laughs> facial expressions change <laughs> love it love it everyone listening is probably doing them too um <laughs> as like this is our last question and then um if there's anything else you want to add grace uh, go for it but as women it can be terrifying about the changes in our bodies especially you know for those who love to use our bodies as tools to move and the changes physiologically and you know sometimes that can be painful and it means you can't do what you want to do but what is some advice for women worried about losing the capability to do what they love due to having kids and, and during that pregnancy and, and the recovery time? Yeah, great, great question and something that I'm sure a lot of us have thought about before. I think my advice would be to sort of be mindful that there are changes that are going to happen and that we can't prevent a lot of those changes but to sort of almost change your mindset on those changes that are happening as they are occurring so you know you are potentially getting a little bit wider through your hips and your tummy is stretching a little bit and you might feel a little bit less stable but that's all because you're growing a baby and your body is doing this really amazing thing um, and I think it's pretty incredible that our bodies can do that so you know accepting that there are going to be changes that happen but sort of thinking about why those changes are happening can really help. Also, just preparing your, your mind for a transition over this time. So there is going to be a period of time where you might not feel as fit or as strong as you have in the past, but it's only temporary. It's not forever. And there, I, I mean, I would say 90 nine percent of the women that I see if that motivation to get back to doing what they love is there they can get back to doing that it just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of sacrifice as you are growing that baby and as your body is recovering 
So it might not feel like it at first, but you definitely can get there if you give yourself the love and the time to do so. I also think that if it is something that you're concerned about talking to a health professional um, about what you can be doing to keep yourself on track can be really useful. So, for example, if you came to see a woman's health physio, we could help you to stay really strong and stable so that you could stay as active as possible through pregnancy, which is then obviously going to help your recovery. Um, if you're concerned about diet and weight, speaking to a dietitian who understands pre and postnatal health is really important. And Sarah, our Femi dietitian, is amazing with that. Or sort of speaking to yeah your doctor or your obstetrician or your gynecologist about what you can be doing um, to help there. But I see it and we all see it. There's some amazing athletes out there who have babies, recover, give their body that time and that energy, and then they come back and they're running PBs which is just so amazing, sort of within their first year postnatal. So it can be done. Mm, it's been so, so inspiring seeing over the last even 12 months how many elite female athletes, especially in Australia and New Zealand, um, that have had babies and come back and are doing so incredible. It's, yeah, really inspiring, especially for someone like myself. And I'm sure Esther and Grace, you're the same. Like we haven't had children and it is kind of scary to think that we're going to lose the ability to do what we love for a, an amount of time. But to see those women come back so strong and so dedicated, it's, it's, it is, it's incredible. And I think also like to be proud of yourself throughout your pregnancy, that's how I want to feel. Just like being proud of your body and what it can do is hopefully a way that will get you through that period of time, knowing that you might not be hitting PBs in the gym or on the road or on the track um, at that time, but um, you're hitting PBs in different ways, which is really cool. Exactly. And yeah, if you just stop to think about what your body is actually doing, that's <laughs> incredible. It yeah. sort of like makes me laugh sometimes. I'm like, this is actually insane. <laughs> that the yeah. female body can like within a year, fall pregnant grow a baby, deliver a baby, recover and be back running. It's amazing. It is. Yeah. Women are incredible. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Grace? I actually think that we've covered a lot. So I think, no, I think hopefully lots of women have gained some uh, helpful information, whether it's for now or for the future or for a friend or a family member. Definitely. No, it was so useful. And I think I'll just quickly add before we close up shop that there were some nutrition questions from our listeners. And uh, obviously, Grace is an expert physio, uh, women's health physiotherapist. So we're not going to touch on the nutrition pieces, but we will definitely do that in the future on the Femipod with our amazing dietitian, Sarah Wooderson. So stay tuned for that. Woohoo. Thank you so much, Grace. Where can people get in touch if they have any additional questions and want to come ask you, where is the best place to hit you up? Uh, best place to hit me up would be either on my Instagram, she.runs.physio. I'm open to any messages or questions um, and I'll try and answer them as best as I can. Uh, or people are welcome to email me, grace at four, so the number four, F-O-U-R, physio.co.nz. And I'm happy to answer questions from there as well. 
incredible. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. I definitely did. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable with thinking and talking about pregnancy now. So thank you. Um, and in the meantime, thank you for all the listeners who tuned in for this episode. We will be back for our last episode of the year next week. Esther and I will be coming to you to celebrate 2022. Prepare for 2023. If you do want to get in touch, hit us up on Instagram at femi.co or head to our website, femi.co. But thanks for being with us, Grace, and we will chat to you all next week. You're welcome. See you later. Thank you.